0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking to UFC featherweight Rick Glenn. He's fighting this Saturday at UFC 215. He's taking on the undefeated Gavin Tucker, and he fully plans on going out there and handing Gavin Tucker his first ever defeat. And then we're going to be joined by the newest member of the UFC flyweight division. I'm talking about Joby Sanchez. He just won a contract on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. This is his second stint in the UFC. He's come a long way, and he truly earned that shot. And last but not least, David Oblast. He's the promoter of the NFC, the largest fight promotion in the Southeast. They just signed a big deal with Alliance MMA. They're hosting their weigh-ins at the Braves games now. And it's only bright skies for the NFC. But first up, Rick Glenn. Here we go. Joining us now is UFC Featherweight, Rick Glenn. Rick, welcome to Half the Battle. Hey,
1: thanks for having me.
0: All oh, the pleasures are all ours, man. So, dude, you're taking on the undefeated Gavin Tucker. You're the rugged veteran here. Are you expecting to go out there and
1: hand this guy his first defeat? Oh yeah, I'm gonna take that O.
0: What do you think about this style matchup, man? Because look, he's kind of a point fighter. You're really tall for the weight class. You're very experienced. What do you think about how the styles match up?
1: Ah, uh, you know, lefty lefty. It might it might be an ugly fight. Um, I hope he doesn't run a bunch, but you know, he's got good footwork. He's quick. Um, I'm just I'm looking to take that O.
2: And uh Rick, uh I noticed that uh, you know, you are six foot and you're a featherweight. Um lately the 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 new trend in MMA seems uh guys are moving up in weight. Have you ever thought about moving up to one fifty five?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about it. I, I had my debut against Evan Dunham at fifty five and honest, I I didn't really have to cut much weight. Uh I'm making I'm making weight a lot easier. Um I don't know if it's mentally stronger now or what it is, but 45 isn't an issue, and I I think I'm going to stay at 45 until the end of my career.
0: How would you end up at Team Alpha Male, man? Because I know you used to train at Rufus Sport. Then you were doing your own thing for a while. Now you're up in California. How'd you end up there?
1: Yeah, I've actually, ever since I started fighting, I was a fan of Uriah's, and gosh, I've you know, I always thought about moving to California. My wife, the last, past few years, has kind of been pushing me to come and check it out. Um, I had fought Lance Palmer back in 2014. Um, he beat me, but, you know, I had always wanted to come out here. I met Andre Feely on a on a meet, meet uh, the troops trip to Japan, and, and that kind of opened the door for me to come out and visit, made it a little more comfortable for me to come visit. And I visited for a week. It was awesome. You know, they opened the doors. They said I was welcome to come out, and then I was out here for five weeks, um, checking out places to rent, which was kind of crazy renting out out in California. You know, it's pretty competitive, and things were going fast. And luckily, we found a place, snatched it up. I ran back to Milwaukee and got our house ready to sell in two weeks, and then. Um, we accepted an offer on that in two days, or after two days of being on the market, we closed on that like a couple weeks ago and everything's been going good out here. It's, it's been kind of a crazy ride, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're super blessed to be out here.
2: Now, Rick, you know, you are the veteran in this matchup against Gavin Tucker, and for a guy, you know, who's early in his career like him, he hasn't faced that much adversity in comparison to you, and, you know, you've been in there with guys like Georgie Caracan, and Lance Palmer, Evan Dunham. Do you think uh, if this fight happens to have any adversity for him, do you think you can just fully run away with it and uh, break him?
1: I hope so, you know, but it's a fight, Um, you know, he hasn't... I haven't faced him. He hasn't faced me. Everyone's different. Doesn't matter rank or whatnot. Um, you know, we're all pretty mentally tough when it comes to to that stuff. I think, and yeah, it's just I uh, I don't know. It's it's pretty simple, man. It's like it's either him or me. We get in there, and we're gonna fight. Um, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's gonna be much adversity. With either one of us.
0: Oh yeah, you think it's gonna be pretty back and forth? You think it's gonna be one sided or what?
1: Yeah, I hope it's one sided. I plan, I plan on you know taking him out quick. That's always, always the plan.
0: And man, what's it like training with a former opponent and Lance Palmer? Because I mean, you guys must have a tremendous respect for each other.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's he's really cool. Um, he's actually one of the most respectful people I've ever fought, and. You know, I was kind of thrown off by how nice he actually was when I first met him and um yeah, super respectful, you know, true martial artist. Um it's awesome. It's awesome training with him. You know, we're we're going to help each other. Um and that's that's what I wanted to do when I moved out here or when I came and trained out here. I I don't want to just do my camps out here. I, I wouldn't feel like I was a part of Team Alpha Male if I just did my camps out here, which you know, I, I could have easily done it, but I want to be a part of the team and help the other guys. So, you know, I, I had to move out here. I didn't I didn't want to just do my camps and, you know, not be a part of the team.
0: How's the weight coming along for this fight? The weight? Yes, sir.
1: I'm keeping it on. It's not coming off yet. <laughs> <laughs> you feeling good, though? Yeah, I'm feeling great, man. It's It's crazy. I love it out here. Good weather, good people, drinking lots of water. When I first moved out here, I was drinking um, anywhere from two to three gallons of water a day, training.
0: Man, it's such a contrast from Milwaukee. You know, over there, it's snowing, it's cold as hell. I mean, do you like uh, sunny California?
1: Yeah, we actually actually got caught in some cold weather yesterday. We went on a hike, Um, we had a friend come up, and... We went on a hike. It's about an hour or so away, so we're we're within snow, like there's snow within an hour from us. And high elevation mountains. We've been going on a bunch of hikes, and we got uh, we got caught in a hailstorm, and it was freezing rain. And you know, we're like, luckily found a little bush to hide under, but we still got drenched, and it was freezing. So there is, it is nice. You know, within an hour, we can go up and and see some snow and mountains and cool rivers and waterfalls and stuff.
2: Rick, you know, I've always thought that Justin Buchholz was one of the most underrated uh, coaches in the MMA game. And uh, have you been working with him for this fight?
1: Um, A little bit. You know, he just got back. He was gone for was like back to back six weeks for um, fight weeks with different fighters. So he's, he's had a pretty crazy summer. I haven't seen him too much. Um, and luckily, I have been working with um, a coach quite a bit. Owen Carr and you know they're on the same page with things I need to be working on um, but yeah I, I, I enjoy working with Justin he's who I had originally contacted um, you know he's their head coach like we had contacted him about getting the okay for me to come out and visit in the first place with Alpha Male and he said I was welcome and everyone was pretty welcome so I you know jumped in
0: now, look, we've been watching you for years. What's your favorite kind of fight to compete in? Do you like those back-and-forth wars, kind of like you had with Evan Dunham? Do you like the one-sided domination? Do you like making someone tap to strikes like you did to Johnny Case? What's your favorite way to compete inside the octagon? Uh, I,
1: I like to dominate, man. I, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to take damage. It happens sometimes. It sucks. You know, I'm not, I'm not taking damage in, in practice, so I, I do get my ass kicked here and there, of course. Um you know with all the great teammates I have at Alpha Male but no I don't want to I don't want to get I don't want to take damage in a fight um you know if I have to I I know I'm I'm durable I can and, and last but yeah I, I just want to go in there and dominate
0: so when you won the belt against Georgie Karakani at WSOF I mean how big of a moment was that for your career
1: that was yeah, that was probably the highest moment I'd say. Of course, um, going into the fight, I I knew everyone was kind of underestimating me. I'm just a you know small town nobody fighter, like not a lot of fans. Uh, you could just see it on people's faces when I'd pass, and they would you know just kind of you know give you a smirk, like yeah, whatever. I you know you can sense it when someone's underestimating you, especially Georgie. And afterwards, he was. A pretty sore loser about it I broke his rib with a kick and you know he was pretty <laughs> about it and you know whining whatever um but yeah that was that was amazing that was that was amazing
0: so, man, you got to experience the New York judges firsthand, and we always make jokes about it because, you know, they've had less than 10 UFC events there, and they're always having the most wild scorecards. So you go out there against Felipe Nova, and, you know, we thought you won that fight. Clearly, one judge scored it for Felipe Nova. When they were announcing that decision, were you at all worried that they were going to give the decision to the wrong guy?
1: Oh, hell yeah. He's a hometown guy. I I don't like to go to decision period because people get screwed all the time. And yeah, I was I was pretty nervous.
0: Well, it worked out. You got your first UFC win. I mean, how important was that for you know the bucket list for your career milestones? Because I mean, not everyone gets the chance to get that first UFC victory.
1: Yeah, that was that was huge. You know, that helped get rid of kind of uh, those nervous butterflies of of that being cut possibility. Because <laughs> you know, two in a row, you most likely you could possibly get cut it just depends on your your fan base and there's a lot of variables but obviously you know I don't want to be losing period but if you lose you know you might lose your job so
0: well you didn't lose you won and now you're taking on the undefeated prospect Gavin Tucker now it's interesting because you fought Felipe Nover in New York now you're fighting Gavin Tucker In Canada? I mean, is this just becoming a a normal thing for you to go to people's hometowns and beat them there?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think it's his hometown, but yeah, home country, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. As long as I'm kicking ass, I I don't mind going to enemy territory.
0: Yeah, now, I mean, obviously you're not going to give away the game plan. You are the taller guy, like we mentioned. He loves to use his footwork and kind of, you know, run around the ring and pot shot. He's a point fighter. Are you basically looking to, you know, cut the ring off and, you know, use your size? Or
1: yeah, maybe I'll just outpoint him, do some taekwondo, and show him how fancy my footwork is. <laughs> That'd be
2: pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, Rick, you know, uh, you do have one of the best facial hair games in the sport of MMA. Are you? Will you be rocking that, uh, that stash for this fight? Oh,
1: that's a surprise. I don't know. That's, that's a feeling thing. I just You got to feel it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Rick, man, okay. thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been a pleasure, man. Best of luck in the fight. Let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and any any message for the fans. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, guys, check me out. RickGladiatorGlenn.com. Uh, my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'll be pretty easy to find Gladiator MMA. So check me out. Stay tuned. Looking forward to this fight. I'm training hard. Uh, you won't you won't be disappointed, so tune in.
0: All right, Rick. Thanks again for the time, and uh, best of luck in the fight.
1: Thanks, guys. Take care.
0: Joining us now is the newest member of the UFC flyweight division, Joby Sanchez. Joby, welcome to Half the Battle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So how amazing does it feel to not just get another shot in the UFC but uh you know get that contract based on everything you've been through to get to this point.
3: It was was a a rough time outside the UFC. I uh I learned a lot about myself and to make it back like this uh I'm I'm grateful.
2: I'm very grateful. Yeah Joby so uh you came into the UFC really young and before your first fight in the UFC you fought Antonio Benuelos who's somewhat of a legend of the sport and then you make your debut against Wilson Hayes who was a former number one contender uh what was your mindset going into those fights at such a young age and did you take anything the fact that you know you rocked Wilson Hayes in the first round and you almost had him out of there um how has your mindset changed the the, Antonio
3: Benuelos fight was actually one of my favorite fights I uh i watched him fight in the UFC, and uh, to be, like, fighting him in the cage was, was awesome. Wilson Hayes was another good fight. I Going into that fight, uh, a lot of my coaches told me I should wait. That I was young, I had a lot of momentum, but I just wasn't ready yet. And uh, being the young Aryan kid I was, I said, ah, let's do it anyways. And, uh, and uh, the truth was I wasn't ready. And... I believe now here at 26, I am ready. and I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna. I will fight for the world for
0: the world title. Do you feel like all these experiences that you've had is what's gonna lead you to going on a big run now?
3: I believe so. Yeah, I faced a lot of adversity, and I'm, I'm ready now.
2: And so, uh, when you got released from the UFC, and you had to go back and uh fight these guys on the local scene. I mean, how was your motivation level? Were you motivated for those fights or it was
3: it was the same motivation. I mean like I I want to be the best no matter who I'm fighting, whether uh and then at the time I knew I needed to uh to get wins under my belt and uh I, I've been motivated throughout the whole, the whole thing. Like there's been no really any new, new motivation from that to now.
0: So, is there anyone you want for your UFC return? I asked for it. Uh,
3: honestly, right now, no. Okay.
0: What was it like getting your arm raised, you know, not just once but twice on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender? You got... The matchmakers there. You got the boss there. Snoop Dogg's calling the fights. That whole experience, it's different. You're, you're fighting in a small little hot gym instead of a big crowd. I mean, what was that experience like?
3: It, it was hot in that gym, but uh, it was cool. I really I took a lot from it, and it was a different, definitely one I can, I'm proud of. I had never been on top, but then I was fighting in the tough gym. I've shared Diego Sanchez. We did season one in that gym and to go John Dotson's another one to do a, a season in that gym and to fight in that cage was, was uh was cool.
2: And uh Joby you train at one of the best gyms in the world. How was that atmosphere training there every day?
3: With uh at, at Jackson Yeah, at Jackson's. Cool. I uh again I have John Dotson treats me like uh like his little brother and uh I have fighters like Borg man, more fighting for a world title now and uh I'm very lucky to have
0: a a partner like him. I'm glad you brought up Ray Borg. And I got to ask you, man, because look, no one is invincible in this sport. And DJ, if he wins this fight, he could break Anderson Silva's record. But Ray Borg strikes me as the kind of guy that rises to the occasion. And also, if you watch the Tim Elliott fight, he had some luck in those early scrambles. So what do you think about Ray Borg's chances here? Ray
3: Ray is a scrambling king. And, uh, I really feel that they can be, be
2: uh major. Yeah, and um, on your uh, first fight against uh, Manny Vasquez, you know, uh, you had won the first round, and then uh, he had dropped you briefly, but you recovered very well. And then you just completely dominated him in the uh, grappling exchanges, which, you know, your grappling really wasn't on display in your uh, first UFC stint. Um, how much has your grappling improved since then? It's
3: improved a lot. I'm uh, very lucky to have Coach Harry St. Ledger, who's a Olympian, judo Olympian. He's also a black belt under uh, Hoyce Gracie, not Hoist Gracie, uh Gracie. Um, I want to say Helio Gracie, one well, of the Gracie brothers. The gym in New York, Whichever gym gym's in New okay. York. And uh, I have, again, then again, I have, again, I have someone like Great Borg to grapple with every day, do sparring rounds, wrestling. And uh, honestly, he's been a big factor of, of my uh, improvement in my wrestling and my grappling.
0: So obviously everything worked out for the better, but when you first got that victory over Manny Vasquez and they didn't sign you right then and there, were you at all discouraged or were you just proud of your performance?
3: I was happy with my performance, but then I wasn't because uh, I really did not want that contract that first time. And it drove me just to do better the second time. really all I did Just drive me and make me a better
2: fighter. Now, going into the second fight, are you going in there with a mindset like, I have to finish this guy because I know if if it's a back-and-forth fight and I wanted a close decision, I still might not get the contract? Yes and no. My name
3: was a win.
0: Good. I mean, that's what it's all about. Get Get the win by all means. So when are you looking to get back in there? November. Okay. Anything you can reveal? Norfolk? MSG?
3: No, I wish. Probably not MSG. I'd really like that, but that's not likely.
0: Well, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, because I heard they double-tax over there. Yeah. Before you get out of here, who you got between Valentina Shevchenko and uh, Amanda Nunes? have Nunes. Okay. Well, Joby, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us right here, right now, on Half the Battle. It's been a pleasure. Let the audience know where they can follow you and any message for the fans, go ahead.
3: Uh, you guys can follow me at Twitter, on Twitter, at Joby Sanchez. Um, I want to thank my team, my family, my beautiful girlfriend, who's waiting, who's waiting right here for me tacos. And uh, uh, again, my management, my management, Jason House and uh, Jeremy. I got to thank those
0: guys. Joining me now is the promoter of the NFC, David Oblast. David, welcome to Half the Battle. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? Doing amazing yourself. Doing well. Just heading down to my parents' house for the first time in Griffin, Georgia. They just moved there. So it's a good time to chat. Oh, that sounds exciting. It's not. (laughs) So I got to ask you, David, you know, 15 years ago, what was your vision for the NFC? I
4: I actually had no vision at all for what the hell I was doing. I basically uh, was a journalist for a small little newspaper in Buckhead. And I loved boxing at the time, and I still do. And uh, the kid behind me at our desk in Buckhead used to talk to his dad, and he was super loud. Like, however loud you are, and I know you're a pretty loud talker, he's about five times as loud as you are. And his dad was an inspector with the Georgia Athletic Commission. I used to always hear him talk to his dad about going to fights. And I started tagging along, and I became an inspector for the Georgia Athletic Commission probably in, like, 2000. I graduated from Auburn in 98, so this was only a year or two after college. And I got paid $50 to go to all these fights, and I went to all these boxing matches, and they all basically completely sucked. And whatever, whatever idea you have about sketchy promoters and boxing, I saw it all in a matter of a couple of years. And I basically thought I could do better than this. Like, I, I'm not that stupid of a guy. I can probably put on a fight just as good as these morons can. Um, so in, in June of 2002, I put on my first fight with the title Undisputed Productions, and there was boxing and Buckhead at the Roxy Theater, and I uh, had a good friend of mine, O'Neal Bell, be the main event. O'Neill went on to be the Cruiserweight Champion of the World and two-time Showtime Fighter of the Year. And he was my main event, and he helped me put together the show. And uh, it didn't suck. It did well. And uh, I did a second show and a third show and a fourth show. And I just kept going. At some point in time, transitioned to MMA and changed the name from Undisputed Productions to NFC. Um, so, yeah,
0: that's kind of long and short of it. So, day one, I had absolutely no idea what the hell I was doing. And that was 15 years ago. The sport has evolved so much since then. What's the vision for the NFC now? Well, now
4: actually after 15 years, um, you know, my, there's this company called Alliance MMA I talked to about a year, year and a half ago. Nick Maynard from uh, Legacy at the time brought me into the fold. Um, they made me an offer to purchase the NFC a little over a year ago. Um, I said, no, thank you to the offer. And I went on. And now I've seen what they've done in the past year, and I contacted them out of nowhere, and We talked for a few months, and I just sold to Alliance MMA a few months ago just because I saw what they were doing, and I was jealous, and I wanted to be a part of it. So the future of the NFC is a future with Alliance MMA that now owns 10 promotions throughout the country, um, the top 10 regional promotions in that area. They also own a company called Cage Ticks, which is like Ticketmaster. It sells tickets online. And then they also own a company called Sucker Punch Entertainment, which is Brian Butler and Brian Hamper's uh, management company that manage a lot of fighters. So the future is all of us packed into one company together, helping each other and helping each other grow. So it's the first time in history that I or any other promotions haven't been against one another. We've actually been for one another. We meet quarterly, we talk daily, and we try to share ideas with each other too grow our promotion. So this past weekend, I took three of my people to uh, beat three fights in Memphis. Uh, we helped out that promoter. Uh, Nick Carmire, is the first time we've been there. He's been to my show a couple of times now. And uh, I'm going to try to work closely with him to uh, get our shows more in group with each other since we're so close in area. Um, so it's, just a, it, it's pretty awesome that's a way that fighters, and we're also going to start offering four-fight deals to guys because our goal with Alliance MMA is to get guys into the UFC. The more guys we get in the UFC, the more feather and a cap it is for us here. So our goal is to as many fighters to the next level. So we're going to start offering four-fight deals to a lot of fighters that can not only fight for the NFC, but this is the best part. They can fight for any of the promotions in the Alliance MMA banner. Um, so there's like 10 different promotions. We're about to buy two more right now. And it offers a guy just using, for example, uh, you know, Dave Vickie, for example. Dave can now sign a four-fight deal where he doesn't have to worry about his next three fights, where will there be, for what money there be. Um, you know, we're take care of that. We're giving good, even matchups, and hopefully he wins and does his job and moves on to the UFC. So I think that's a huge opportunity for local Atlanta fighters to get on board with that.
0: Well, it sounds like that partnership with Alliance is a home run, then.
4: It is. I think it's a home run for them. It's a home run for all the local promoters, and uh, it really gives us an avenue to showcase our fighters and a group of people working on our best behalf as well that I haven't been able to do in the past. You know, I've just been a one-man operation for the last 15 years, uh, luckily with a lot of help from a lot of people that care about me and care about the promotion. Um, But, you know, if I ever got sick one day, if I died, if anything happens to me, the NFC goes bye-bye. You know, now this is the way if something happens to me, the NFC is still there in Atlanta you know, hopefully for a much longer time. It benefits the fighters, the fans, the gyms, the trainers. Um, so I think it's a huge deal for everybody.
0: So what kind of advice would you give to young entrepreneurs, not necessarily fight promoters, but anyone that's trying to, you know, start something from scratch on their own and make it big?
4: Um, I'd say basically work your ass off. I mean, find something you love doing, you enjoy doing, where it's not like work. I know everyone else says that, but then don't be... just afraid to work your ass off. I mean, luckily, I'm in a field that I love doing. I love the people around me. I love the people i work with. And it's been that way for 15 years. But, you know, any fight I do, and you can ask anyone around me, they'll always say I'm the first one that weigh-ins. I'm the last one to leave weigh-ins. I'm the first one at the venue at 8 a.m. the day of. You know, once everyone leaves at midnight, you know, I'm there until the cage is done going away at two, three, four in the morning sometimes. Um, you know, it's Regina's boyfriend or husband Chris that takes the cage away with some guys. And, you know, they'll be the first to tell you, I don't leave. They're, they're, they're done at 3 a.m. And, you know, it's been that way for 15 years. And, you know, I'm 41 years old now. I'm not a young dude anymore. Um, but I try, I've always tried to be a workaholic. That's what has instilled me from the beginning. And I think anyone starting their own company, don't be afraid to work your ass off because you're going to have to 24 7 early.
0: Now, when you first got into the fight game, was it 15 years ago when you were an inspector, or was it even before that? I did my first fight June 26, 2002, so that's a little bit over 15 years
4: ago. And then um, I started with the Athletic Commission in 2000, so I've been involved in the sport for a little over 17 years now.
0: So do you have a sense of pride when you see your fighters make it big? And, you know, for example, David Kaye, he's fought under your banner many times. Then he goes out there in Bellator. He sets the record for the second fastest submission in Bellator history. Another example, C.J. Hamilton. You know, he started his career with you. And now, uh, you know, he fought on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender and put up a very good showing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think thats
4: uh, I think that's something that... Everyone associated with the FC takes pride with from me to Jesse Wabel to Charlene Dixon to Jose Santiago, to you know even Nate Mann who's with us at B three this weekend to Regina who does the gloves and you know, other people, we all know the fighters that come through and the fighters might hate me at times, they might hate Jesse at times, but we try to push them into tougher matchups that they might not like. But the point is if they win that matchup, it opens up doors for them. You know, if you keep fighting the same 0-2 guys and 0-3 and guys and 1-5 and 5 guys, you know, it absolutely does no point to you. All it is is bullying. You're bullying against a guy that you should beat, and it absolutely accomplishes nothing, and it's not going to get you to the next level. You know, if we can get a guy to UFC or Bellator, I think that's cool as hell. And one thing with Alliance, we had to send Burt Watson the name of every fighter and how many we've sent to the UFC. And NFC had sent, I think, the number two or number three list of promotions of all of ours, uh, the number of guys to the UFC and Bellator. I think I was number two or number three amongst all 10 of us. Um, So that's pretty damn cool, because I didn't know we were that high in the number of people we've sent. It's something like 50 or 60 fighters that have gone through us to the UFC and Bellator combined. And it's pretty cool that we help fighters accomplish their goal. Um, And I have no fighters signed under contract. So if someone wins or loses, you know it affects me a little bit i feel bad for them or i feel good for them but it's them accomplishing their dreams and that's what they need to understand they're not signing a two-fight deal or a five-year fight deal with dave ogles of nfc it's a one-fight deal where if they win they own their own company they can get to the next level and that's why we try to push them in the fights that they might not like at the time but if they win those fights you know they can become the next forrest griffin from atlanta Well.
0: Now, David, obviously you know firsthand there's so many egos in the fight game. How do you put your foot down when fighters try to pick and choose their fights?
4: Um, that's really the difficult part. I have Jesse doing all the matchmaking, so unfortunately he deals with the first level of uh, BS before it ever gets to me, so he tries to uh, negotiate with them and push them into the fight. Not, uh, that might be better for them and the fans. Um, you know, No one wants to see Daniel Levy beat up a guy in North Carolina or South Carolina <laughs> or Tennessee every time. Sooner or later, when Daniel Levy is winning a few fights, you want to see Daniel Levy versus the guy from X3 Sports, or the guy from Team Octopus, or the guy from ATT. Like, as Daniel Levy's going up that ladder, and someone else is going up that ladder, you want to see them go off on each other at some point in time. Um, some I mean, it, it just sucks when fighters don't see it that way, and they come up with excuses. And I was just reading a thread today when I posted the new NFC rankings and. One fighter called on there they like, I'm not fighting this guy at this level of promotion or something like that. And those are the things that bug me. Because if you're not willing to do it at this promotion, you, when are you going to be willing to do it? Because we're really the promotion right before the UFC. And we're proven that. If you win and go undefeated in the, UFC, the NFC and you have a title, you could get called up to the UFC. Like, we are one level down from that. And sometimes fighters don't realize that. So when you say, I'm not fighting a friend for a title belt or I'm not going to do this or that because you're at this level, you know, that's like, I don't know what you do for a living, Daniel, that's like you're doing your work Monday or Tuesday and saying, I'm not doing this because I don't get paid enough. Well, what's going to happen to Your boss is probably going to fire you the next day, I would imagine, if you say, I'm not doing this because I don't get paid enough. Um, so I think, you know, fighters, they need to take the fights off of them because it might not be there forever. And we're even seeing that with some title fights right now. You know, some title fights that I want guys to fight in, you know, they said no to six months ago, and now they're saying yes to, but guess what? The champion doesn't want to do that anymore, so it's already evaporated and gone away. So, you know, you kind of got to jump on the opportunity in this sport when it's offered you,
0: unfortunately. Now, is there an opportunity cost or even a cutoff point for some of these guys that, you know, pick and choose the fights? And the reason I ask is because, you know, it's not just, you know, a random Joe Schmo that's doing that. You've had some of your most talented prospects, even champions. Yeah.
4: And I'll, I'll, I'll use one example right now, not to talk bad about him. I'm just using him as an example Chad Walton. Chad was the 155 champion. He had to get surgery, and I wasn't willing to have him on the shelf for a year with the title belt. It's not fair to the other 155 guys. It's not fair. So we put Brandon Longano, uh uh versus Wes Barnes. And Chad said, You know, this is only an interim title fight. Once I'm healthy, I'm going to smash the winner and get my belt back. And I said, I agree. Um, you know, whoever wins, I'll make them fight you next. Wes Barnes beat Longano, and uh, we also fight the Chaz, and Chaz said, said for a while, no, Wes brings nothing to the table for me. I'm not fighting him. He doesn't have a good enough record. He's not ranked high enough. Like, all these things. But Wes is the 155 champion. If you want to fight the best and you want the belt, he is the 155 champion. Well, now I talked to his manager, uh, Chaz's manager, Brian Butler, last week at our Lions MMA meetings, He says, hey, Chaz changed his mind. He'll fight for the title now. Well, the problem now is Wes Barnes and his trainer, Mewson, aren't that interested. They're looking at him versus other 155 guys that are bigger names than Chaz, better records than Chaz, and simply they think if they beat that guy, it can get them to the UFC quicker. So that kind of turned pretty quickly that Chaz isn't the name he was a year ago before he was injured, Um, and, you know, the, the 155 Georgia champ is kind of looking at other things in other states right now, unfortunately. Um, so that's an example of how quick things can turn. And I'm not talking negative about Chaz. I'm not talking negative about West. I'm just simply saying that's how things change overnight. Actually.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, the sport doesn't change by the year or by the month. It changes by the day. But since you brought up Chaz, I have to ask you, look, this is one of the most talented guys we've ever seen come out of Georgia. I mean, 7-0 and as an amateur, 5-0 and as a pro with five first-round finishes. Is there a future for Chaz Walton in the NFC? I
4: think there is. It's just a matter if he wants to come back and fight for us. There has been words in the past it's just a matter if he wants to come back and fight, um, if he's willing to fight under the same pay scale that other fighters are willing to fight for, and uh, you know, fight one of these top five Georgia guys. You know, there's five guys in the top five. These ranked number four. You know, there's some excellent matches to be made. And it's like I said, you know, these guys are signed with a manager. Or they're signed to themselves. They're their own company. If Chaz Walton beats a top five guy or beats two guys in the top five, that's his direct connection to the UFC. And really nothing makes me prouder to know that Chaz, who had all five of his pro fights in the NFC and many of his amateur fights in the NFC, could go to the UFC. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. So, yeah, I hope he comes back. he would be a feather in both power caps.
0: So, David, what goes through your mind on fight night? And the reason I ask is, I mean, you mentioned you're the guy that goes there from 8 a.m. to 3 a.m. And, you know, one doesn't simply work an over 12-hour shift. That's exactly what you do. What goes through your mind on fight night?
4: Um, I guess there's a lot of stress. Like, I guess I compare it to to uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Like, you spend, <laughs> uh, you know, two or three days picking Thanksgiving dinner, and then everyone rests it in two hours and it's over and done with um, so, you know, I plan a fight for five or six weeks for everything to go this way and that way, and then it happens in a matter of three hours, and the worst part for me is it's the time that I'm working and I'm going to get stuff done, but it's time when all the fans want to talk to you and all your friends want to talk to you and people sit in the wrong seats and security's yelling at you that this person's doing this wrong or that wrong, and the athletic commission can't get a hold of the female to get her to take her pregnancy test, and... You know, just everything else going wrong. So, I guess it's just a matter of managing it all and getting as much done ahead of time. So, when really bad stuff goes wrong, you can pay all your attention to it. Um, you know, even the kid that went to the hospital at the July 22nd Infinite Energy Show, um, Nathaniel, it's, you know, he was the last fight of the amateur kickboxing part. So, as he's getting in the cage for the last fight, we're changing the chairs over, we're changing the labeling on the seat, we're moving tables out of the way, we're cleaning up the copa grappling mats you know, as his fights going on, we're doing all this to prepare for the second part of the show um, when you and everyone else are coming in to do the announcing of the whole MMA portion. And in the middle of it, unfortunately, he's getting taken away in a stretcher in an ambulance, and we're trying to check on updates on him while trying to get the MMA show started on its way. Um, so it's just always one thing on top of another, and when something goes wrong, it's always a domino effect. So it's just making sure everything's done the right way and trying to Least stressed out as possible,
0: I guess. And speaking of things going the right way, I heard that uh, NFC is going to be hosting the next weigh in at the Braves game. We are. That's, uh, it's funny. I posted something
4: about that probably a year ago because I'm a huge Braves fan, a huge baseball fan. I think just baseball stadiums are iconic in each city, and there's nothing more you can do than work with a professional sporting team in your city. Um, so I've been trying to get involved with the Braves with that live of the battery a year ago. So uh, we're finally going to be doing our weigh-ins for NFC 99-100 at live at the Battery. The Sports and Souls right next door. Um, so it's going to be NFC 99 on uh, Thursday, September 21st at 6 p.m. We'll do the weigh-ins right there. And right in front of their 30-foot big-screen TV, they're going to have us televised on there. Um, it's right before the Braves home game that night, so there'll be tons of fans there. I think it's the last week of the Braves games, actually. Um, so it'll be pretty crowded on a Thursday. Um, I bought tickets for all the fighters and trainers that come out there so we can all go to the game together right afterwards. But it's just pretty damn cool for me as an accomplishment to be a part of something like that, five feet from the stadium and live at the battery. And I think it's going to be intense and fun and energetic and, uh, you know, something the fighters will enjoy as well. And, uh, you know, that's what I look for. If I I try to look at it, if I was a fighter, would this be cool of me? And I think it'd be cool as hell if I was a fighter to – weighing a live at the battery, have my parents there or something like that, or my family there, go to the Braves game with my dad or something. Like, I just think that would be a kick-ass experience.
0: Oh, yeah, it's an unbelievable idea. Well, a couple more questions, David, before I let you go. So, NFC 99 is coming up. We got Jared Gooden versus Eli Winter in the main event. I think this is such an incredible matchup because if you look at it on paper, you see a guy in Jared Gooden, he's very experienced. You know, he's been in there with guys like Dave Vitke. He's been in there with everybody. You look at a guy like Eli Winter and you only see 2-0 and o on his record, but you look closer into it. I've seen this guy knock out grown men in the gym right before my eyes. That's the kind of talent we're dealing with with Eli Winter. What do you think about this main event between Gooden and Winter? I think it's a hell of a fight. It's like you said. Jared's
4: taken a lot of fights on last second. He's fought a couple of times on Access
0: TV for LFA. He's
4: fought quite a few times in the main event on our shows. Um, It brings a lot of experience as an amateur and a pro into the cage. Um, Eli's a bit untested, but he is 7-0 in amateur and 2-0 pro I I'm not sure. I think Eli is the only fighter in Georgia. Eli and Chaz are the only two fighters that have an undefeated amateur record and undefeated pro record. Um, And it's for a title belt, I mean, normally a guy like Eli at 2-0 wouldn't be the main event on an NFC show, wouldn't be fighting for a title belt. Um, But he said yes to the fight, and it's a hell of a matchup. Um, I think Jared has the edge, but for Jared to win the bout he's going to have to beat someone that's never been beat as an amateur or a pro. You know, Jared's kind of that Floyd Mayweather of Atlanta a little bit. Well,
0: Well, that's why they fight. That's why fights are not contested on paper. So after that, your next event is a big milestone. NFC 100. I mean, David, what does it feel like to have put on 100 events for the NFC? I mean, like I said, it's just cool.
4: Like, I never thought I'd be doing two fights. I never thought I'd do three fights. I never thought I'd be regarded as a top flight promoter in Georgia or potentially, you know, one of the top in the Southeast. So it's as cool as hell. I mean, I still enjoy doing it as much as I enjoyed doing it in 2002. I mean, a lot more BS has come on with the job in the last 15 years. A lot of things I don't like, but I still get as, as hyped up now as I did 15 years ago. Um, so it's just remarkable I've hit 100 events. I mean, I was talking with my dad about it the other day. And uh, he still remembers the first fight I ever did. I was on the cover of the AJC Sports section. I was the youngest promoter ever in Georgia at age 26. And uh, him walking to the office and how proud he was seeing that. And, uh, you know, it's just cool that 15 years has gone by and I've kind of stuck with it. So, oh, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's insane. So, who do you think are some guys from the NFC that the people need to look out for? Obviously, there's Jamar Whitehead, Nathan Williams, Robert Hale, even... uh. Even a guy like J.B. Hopkins, there's so much up and coming talent. Are there a few guys that you got your eye on?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think those guys you mentioned are just all young bucks coming up. Um, Weatherby, Adrian Weatherby a guy in Muay Thai a hell of a guy. James Smith. Um, I've always liked Brandon Logano. I mean, that guy's gone out and just fought anyone we've asked him to. Oh, yeah. um, Joe Elmore, even though he's getting older and potentially toward the end of his career, uh, you know, he's even fighting Logano in NFC 100 in the main event. You know, he's still a guy I get hamped up and watch. Um, you know, even someone like Bola, Bolo's coming towards maybe the middle of his career, but I don't think we've seen the best of Bola yet. If his fat ass would get in the gym and train every once in a while, um, he could do something. Um, I mean, when I was at when we were at Memphis this weekend watching B3, you know, we just and this is nothing in B3. We just saw that the talent in Tennessee is less than the talent in Atlanta. Just from bottom of the card to top of the card. It made me, Charlene, Jesse Wable, and Nate Mann, who were all there together, it just made us look and say, damn, Atlanta is that much better than the Memphis-Tennessee fighters in that surrounding area. And I just think there's a lot of guys that are up and coming from Jamar to Chase Boutwell. Uh, you know, to a lot of the young kids coming up. And even their benefit is they fought on an NFC show before they were 18. Um, so they got to fight on a big stage before they even really turned amateur. They were just little baby kids. Um, so I think they've got the world ahead of them.
0: Yeah, Jamar and Chase Boutwell, definitely two guys you got to look out for. So in your opinion, you know, because at NFC 98, I saw one of the best fights that I've ever seen in my life. And that was, it was only a one round matchup, but it was between Robert Hale and John Cobb. And I mean, the intensity of that fight, it was like, I mean, it was like I was at a UFC main event. It was unbelievable. So for you as the promoter, what have been some of your favorite NFC fights? I think one of the
4: best fights I ever saw was Dustin Chobanik versus Bolo when we did a show at Wild Bill's. They fought Muay Thai, and that was probably the most uh, dangerous three rounds I've ever seen because Bolo almost murdered Dustin in all three rounds in the first 30 seconds, and then Bolo ran out of gas, and Dustin almost finished him in all three rounds. But, I mean, that they were throwing some of the hardest punches I've ever seen in a Muay Thai fight. Um, I think Jared Gooden versus... Uh, I think it was Tanner Saraceno at a uh, center state. when we did, I think Tanner was just bleeding like a stuck pig in that fight. And Jared came out on the win after, uh, Tanner was beating the hell out of Jared for a while. I think Jared pulled out the win. Um, like you just mentioned Robert Hale and John Cobb when Robert just absolutely beat the crap out of John from start to finish. If you don't count those five seconds at the finish when job Cobb, you know, got the submission on him. Um, I'm trying to think, even Maria Olova versus uh, the girl from South Carolina, Anna Crutchfield. I mean, everyone said Anna was, you know, the next late Lali, the next Holly Holm. And Maria was just an old lady coming in for that fight. And Maria ended up upsetting her that night um, in a back-and-forth five-round fight, and Maria took it. Um, so I think there's just been a lot of fights. I mean, I couldn't even start naming them, really, but that's a couple that stand out in my mind.
0: Oh, yeah, and I can't emphasize enough how incredible Hale versus Cobb was. You know, If it were up to me, David, they'd fight every weekend, but that's why I'm the commentator and not the promoter. Now, before I let you go, <laughs> where will the NFC be in five years? Well, then I think we're going to have a big sponsorship deal
4: in five years, and I think we'll have a big TV contract in five years, and that's not due to me being any better at my job. That's just me knowing the right time to come on with alliance mma and knowing the things that alliance mma is working on right now for all of their promotions that are part of them um you know i think think the best move of my life by getting a part of them i think it's going to benefit the fighters locally i think it's going to benefit the fans and uh i think alliance mma is some big deals that help you get to the next level
0: well, David, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now, on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let the fans know where they can reach you and any message for them. Go ahead.
4: Uh, you can reach me on Facebook, just David Oblis, uh, Oblis, Um, NFC Fight Night on there, and next event, or NFC 99, on September 22nd, followed by NFC 100 on Friday the 13th, uh, Friday, October 13th, at Center Stage and working on NFC 101 in November at uh, Electric Cowboy in Kennesaw.
0: Well, David, thanks again for the time, and I'll see you at uh, the Brave Stadium for the weigh-ins.
4: Awesome. See you soon.
0: There you have it, folks. Rick Glenn, Joby Sanchez, and David Oblast. Thank you so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to BestFightPicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back later this week to break down UFC 215, Nunes vs. Shevchenko 2, Demetrius Johnson vs. Ray Borg, and until the next time, let's cash these bets.